Welcome to Episode 7 of the Cancer Dispatches, Self-Image. I'm Tika Thomas. In this episode, I have sensitive interviews with three brave and candid women. My friends, Steph and Dorinda, and my mom's friend from prior episodes, Rachel. They share with me how breast cancer affected their self-image and personal lives. Please have a listen. It's about 40 minutes. I'm interviewing my friend, Steph Woods, who I introduced in a prior episode. Now, this episode is going to talk about some very personal subjects, and two of my friends were really brave enough to talk about. We're going to talk about self-image and intimacy in this episode. Now, I met you in the spring of 2010. Now, can you tell me who you were and where you lived and how you felt about yourself? I had a blog in which I wrote about my dating debacles and I shared my sex advice. It started small and within six months it had grown to 30,000 views a month. Wow. So now with Fox DC, Angie Goff had described me back then as DC's Carrie Bradshaw. So I was living the life. I did a lot of charity work. My blog had gotten so big that then I became affiliated with the Sex Educators Association and started going to conferences so that the advice I was asked would be well-founded in reliable information. And I had assumed I was going to do more in the sex education space. There was a lot of dates with a lot of different people, and it was fun. So I thought to myself recently, did my life make for good blog posts? or did good blog posts make for my life. So back then, I think one fed into the other. And I was 37 and really having a great time. And it was full of a lot of charity, a lot of fashion events, a lot of social events in DC. And I was active early on in the social media spaces. So there was also a lot of tech and social media events. And that helped with building and growing my brand and my blog since I think I was cognizant of the the power of storytelling and, and the intrigue in information that my friends for years had been telling me to write down. So when I had found a lump and I was actually a charity model in a fashion show at the Italian embassy, which again, just sounds surreal to say out loud since that's so not my life now, but I had found a lump and I had been working with a breast surgeon since I was 24. Mm -hmm. My mom passed away of cancer of unknown primary origin when I was 24. And in 85% of women, that's or originates in the breast. And so I had been monitored. I had biopsies in the past. So I went and she said, let's biopsy this area. And then there's another area that she found that she said, let's biopsy this too. So what I had felt was actually a benign cyst. What she had felt was precancerous. And then when they did an MRI and several more biopsies, they found an area that was invasive breast cancer. Okay. So initially, because I was stage one and everyone said you were diagnosed early, chemo was a possibility, but not a definite. And I had had lumpectomies before, lumpectomies that turned out to be for benign cysts. So I wasn't that scared or concerned about it. 
So I just kept going about my life as I did and going to all these events and, you know, doing my hair flip because I have very long red hair. And it, it was, I had a really fun summer. And then there was one test that came through and it said something like you have, I don't know what the number was, a 12% chance of recurrence in five years. And I'm thinking 12%, you know, statistically, that's, I'm a B plus, we're good. And it turned out that they were meeting about it, my team at Sibley Hospital. And there was a group who were all deciding because they said, you're too young. 12% at too young isn't good odds. And then it came out that one of the labs that they had outsourced a test to said, we sent you the wrong results. So then it meant some, that I had actually an aggressive strain okay. that meant much higher risk. Um, but thankfully, I'm triple positive, which normally triple positive sounds bad, but so in the cancer mom. world, yeah. triple positive is better than triple negative. They know how so, to handle it now. Right. Yeah. Um, since there's resources that and IVs that you can do. So once I found out chemo was on the table, I think that's when there was a big shift for me. And then they had initially said there's lighter chemo. And that seems like an oxymoron to me, but chemo in which I likely wouldn't lose my hair. So in the midst of all of these, between surgeries, between conversations with my doctor, going to get IVs, I'm still dating actively. Um, and I was dating two people at the time. And so to me, I wasn't going to let any of this stop me. But when I went in for that first day of chemo, they said, no, since you've showed up, this aggressive strain showed up, we can't give you the lighter dose anymore. You will definitely lose your hair. Um, that was really hard since I think my hair was one of my identifiers and what I was known for. I probably cared less about um, changes to my breasts than I did to my hair, but I was committed through chemo and through radiation to be, you know, it, as active as I could in my relationships, but they definitely changed. And I appreciate that it was probably a lot to ask for people in their mid thirties to early forties to be part of this world when I wasn't in a committed relationship. And from what I've heard from my surgeons and my medical team, even long-standing relationships don't always a very active social life to Someone would come by, you know, once a week and bring me, a, you know, I was always craving spicy, lemony, acidic food, which later someone shared a book in my, right in my last round to say like, eat right for cancer and you're not supposed to eat anything acidic wow. and you're supposed to eat much either blander. If it's acidic, it should be through healthy juices and vegetables. At what point did you go public on your blog? Really early on. Okay. Public with my name or public with my uh, cancer? With your cancer. So I had practiced in immigration law for almost a decade when I started my blog. And in the back of my mind, I wanted to go back into immigration. And I was doing some policy work. And my politics skew more liberal. And I also knew if I was then blogging about my active dating and sex life that it could 
harm my clients or issues I cared about. So initially when I started blogging, I blogged using a pseudonym. So that was City Girl Blogs. I was City Girl. I didn't show my face at events. I just showed the back of my head, which was then ironic that I lost all my hair. So it used to be, oh, we could spot you out of a crowd. You're the tall redheaded blogger. And thankfully, people in the D.C. community respected that. So they would write about my blog and they would write about me and they would share it. But it was all anonymous, just using my pseudonym. And when I was diagnosed, I pretty quickly came out with saying I had cancer. I want to say it was probably two, three days after. And for me, writing is how I process my feelings. Writing is how I express myself. And the online support I received was overwhelming. Yeah. And this and is positive. the fall of 2010? Um, summer to fall. Okay. So I was really thankful that I had this community. And through it, I also met a lot of people um, in, they call it breast, BCSM, Breast Cancer Social Media, and they have, they still have a Monday night, 9 p.m. Twitter chat, but there were a lot of people I met who had gone through it, so then you're also able to read and share stories and commiserate. I, when I had come out of treatment and I was getting ready to teach, that's when I linked my name to the blog. And by that point, I just said, no, I need to just own it. And this is me and this is my life. And there's a, there's a lot of mistakes I made. And then there's a lot of things I'm really proud of. And I have a feeling most of us are like that. And let's just continue to be authentically me. We certainly are. Although we don't have the courage to be as authentic as you are. How did your self-image start to change now? You started teaching and your relationships changed, you have new sets of friendships, I assume dating continued to change. Can you talk about how that impacted you? I feel as though it's common at a certain age to say I'm focused more on a career, I'm focused more on family, and my life is going to change because of that. My life is a complete 180 of what it was a decade ago. I ended up getting into menopause from chemotherapy. And you're not supposed to get pregnant when you're in chemomenopause, but I did get pregnant. And so I went from diagnosis 2010, finishing treatment and starting to teach 2011, double mastectomy in 2012 after I had yet another area of concern that thankfully turned out to, to not be cancerous. And then 2013, I had my daughter. She's a beautiful, wonderful kid and remarkably staying very quiet as we record this. I'm beyond blessed that God or the universe, whatever you believe in, gave me just the child I was meant to have. And she showed me my worth. And I think through her, I figure out what... I figured out what made sense for me in relationships. So I was in a committed relationship when I got pregnant, but I was able to end that relationship in a very undramatic way, which was so different from my DC's Carrie Bradshaw ways. And it was appropriate for where my life is now. And I think when I think of self image, I commented that maybe I had to lose my body to find my brain again. Wow. And I don't say that 
to discredit the brilliant sex educators out there that I continue to learn from every day. I say it because, to use a dated expression, I got a little too big for my britches. And I think what I thought was important, the you know, four events in one night kind of lifestyle, really wasn't the core of who I am. And I gave credit for people who have the energy to do that lifestyle day after day, year after year. And I had a lot of fun. And now I joke, I'm a really boring professor mom. And someone, you know, I had a babysitter for a few hours last night to catch up with a friend. And she said, oh, well, you still have a babysitter. You can go in and do something. And I went to Trader Joe's and I grocery shopped and I went home. And I was like, I was home by 8.45. That's, that's a wild Saturday night for me now, which is so different from I wouldn't leave until midnight. Um, but I think... Menopause, I've been in and out several times. Now it's been two and a half years. I'm 46 now. So at my 25th college reunion, I presented, you know, eight minutes on menopause. We did little speed talks about as we're nearing our 50s, things we have to think about. And I'm speaking to 100 plus of my Wellesley sisters, and I'm the only one going through this or the only one I believe going through this. And I would say that's what's messed up my self-image. I think now to turn and say, after chemo, after having a baby, I still fit in all those cute dresses even if I didn't wear them. I can't do that now. And the relationship I'm in now, he didn't know me before cancer, or he didn't. And I, I don't even know that we would have dated if we were the same people from 10 years ago that we are now. And I'm so thankful for that. But I used to be the person that felt a little too comfortable being naked in the gym. And now I'm the person that will go in the private stall and change. Would you have not met in your prior life? Or would you just not be, would he not be the person you'd be attracted to? That's interesting. I might have said it would be the reverse. That was, I, I wasn't looking for something supportive and uneventful. I was, some part of me must have liked the drama. Even if it was just a diversion from whatever else was going on, my, on in my life. And now the last thing I need in my world is drama. I feel like life throws us enough zingers and I'm at the stage where I'm just trying to be thankful that things are boring across the board because boring isn't necessarily bad. And I think I had to shift in my mind that boring could mean calm and boring could mean peaceful. And I think you just anticipated my next question, which is just what advice can you give to someone who just got diagnosed and is looking at their own relationship or potential future relationships and, and also their relationship with themselves? Um, is there any counsel you can give them real quick? Find a support group, and that could be a formal support group for your doctor's office or a hospital where you're getting treatment or surgery. It could be an informal support group if you're talking to a doctor or a nurse or a case manager that many hospitals and practices have to say, is there a buddy patient who's been through this, has a similar diagnosis, is a similar age range, has a similar situation where 
I could bounce some ideas and run things by. So yeah, I was really thankful to have found someone who I was able to do that with. And I think to have open dialogue with the people in your life, and that might require pulling in a case manager if you're religious. It could be a priest or a rabbi. It could be a therapist. But saying, figure out how you can do the introspection needed and when you can do it. Because sometimes when you're going through surgeries and treatment, your focus just has to be surgery and treatment. And then it's the after when you sit with yourself and you're like, my entire year, two years just completely changed and everyone else is expecting me to feel 100% and work full time and do everything I did with the same energy I did before I was diagnosed. And it doesn't work that way in the majority of cases. So I think finding people you can talk to and also giving yourself time to process all of this and that there's not just one path. If you go through cancer and you said, I'm done with surgery, I'm done with treatment, it's all in my rear view mirror, I feel great, then count your blessings and that's okay and you can move on. If you had a lump and it turned out to be benign and you're really stressed about it, then lean into that and figure out what can you do to feel better about it, that there's not just one path and if my story can help someone, great, but it's also okay if you say, I completely disagree, here's what worked for me. If that worked for you, then I'm so glad it did. And Steph Woods, if someone wants to find you online, what's the URL or your social media handle? City Girl Blogs with an S at the end. Thank you so much, Steph. Dorinda, hi. Thanks for participating in this project. Hi. So now you and I have been friends since 2005, and in mid-2011, you were diagnosed with breast cancer. Do you mind sharing your age at the time? Uh, sure. I was 35 uh, when I was diagnosed. Okay. And can you just give a brief summary of how you discovered it, what your treatment was, and how you developed your support system? Yeah. So I discovered it by uh, actually doing the very first self-exam I've ever done. Um, okay. And I, you know, I had never done it before and it never occurred to me. And for some odd reason, I just decided to do it. Um, I felt a lump. It seemed abnormal. I thought to myself, it's probably nothing because I'm too young for cancer. Um, sure. So I didn't think too much of it. I The next weekend, I went to my sister's house, and I told her, you know, oh, this weird lump. And she said, oh, well, you should probably get it checked out. So a week or two later, I wasn't in a hurry because I really didn't think it could be anything. Um, I went to the doctor, and the doctor agreed that it's probably nothing, but sent me to a breast specialist, what they call a breast specialist, um, and said, you know, just to be on the safe side, breast specialist, and she felt it, and she said, oh, it's probably nothing, you're too young for cancer, but just in case, let's, um, let's, you know, send you over to get a mammogram. Okay. So I went to get the mammogram, and they found something, um, and at that point, it became apparent that maybe it is something. Even at the mammogram stage, though, uh, some people, some of the, 
you know, doctors and so on were like, well, it's probably nothing and we won't know everything until the biopsy. So I had the biopsy and had to wait about 10 days. Those may have been the scariest 10 days of my life. Um, wow. Yeah. So. And then, it, and then can you get into like how you first decided on a course of treatments and what the treatment was and how you developed your support system? Yeah, sure. Um, I went and got a, you know, second opinion from Stanford. I went to UCLA, got a third opinion. A lot of people were telling me that the mastectomy is the way to go. I really, really did not want that. It was um, it, it, it was the worst-case scenario at the time is to get a mastectomy. So I pushed and pushed for a lumpectomy, but the doctors were all, you know, they all pretty much said, no, we need to go the fiercest, um, the fiercest path because because of the fact that you're so young and you've got it, you know. So I ended up getting the mastectomy. Okay. And yeah. who got you through it? I mean, you have a lot of friends and family in the Bay Area and in Southern California. How did you sort of put together Team Dorinda? Yeah. So there's, there are various Team Dorindas. Um, the the first team Dorinda was my doc was my team of doctors. I, you, when you have that this type of diagnosis, just having, you know, a breast surgeon and an oncologist is not enough. You, you, you need a yoga teacher. I needed a yoga teacher, for example. That now that's not a doctor, but it was part of my healing sure. process, right? Sure. Um, you just need so many different types of professionals on your side as far as the other team I you know my friends and my family that was much easier to put together because I didn't have to do anything um, right. I was very blessed in life that I have I have a lot of friends who are all quality relationships so uh -huh. they, they just and people come come out of the woodwork for you too like you right. say you haven't talked right. to in a while Etc. So that was a pretty amazing, pretty amazing thing. And I actually got a lot closer to uh, a lot of my family members. All the women in my family, my aunt, came and took turns from, they live in L.A. and they came from L.A. and took turns to be with me. My father was amazing. Uh, my sister, amazing. The women in my family really came together for me. Um, Great. As did the men in their in their own way. And I'm going to interview uh, another yeah. friend on being a male caregiver to a female cancer patient. Um, yeah, that's that's different, and I'm you know that that because my father was my uh, main caregiver, so that that was a little <laughs> awkward at times. But from a woman's perspective, because I'm going to ask the guy's perspective, how was it awkward? Okay, well. Um, you know, my father was very obviously concerned. We had just lost my mother to right. a different kind of cancer um, three years prior to my diagnosis. So he was obviously very worried that um, how the chemo would affect me 
and wanted a lot wanted to know a lot of questions because the cancer was you know an instant body part <laughs> it was just a little difficult to talk about it also because it affects for example your reproductive it could affect your reproductive system um, could affect you know depending on what you do your your choices if you ever have a child of breastfeeding etc those types of things and decisions were relatively modest people, and I had never thought that I would talk about my breath so much to my father or in front of my father. Um, right. So that was the awkward. I mean, that was very awkward. So, and how long did the treatment last? How long did the treatment last? Um, it depends on how you define the treatment. The chemo lasted about five months. Okay. Uh, Tamoxifen, I'm still on it. Um, it's a daily, you know, oral therapy medicine. The radiation lasted three months. I'm being told so, that Tamoxifen will last 10 years. Okay. Now, fast forwarding to... Christmas Eve of 2012, you were, both of us were coming out of my annual Christmas Eve happy hour. And as we parted ways physically, we continued the conversation on our phones in the car driving yeah. away. Uh-huh. And we must have been discussing each other's dating lives because, um, you know, you and I are close enough friends that I just went there on a very touchy subject. And the question was, you know, I think you were telling me about some guy you were seeing. And I asked, you know, with a mastectomy, what's intimacy like with a guy? And your voice cracked and you said, thank you. You're the first person who's ever asked me that. And you went on to explain that the guy was great, but you also had some nasty experiences on a dating site. So can you just tell you know the average listener who may have just been diagnosed within the last week you know what your experience with your your own self-image and those uh, moments of intimacy with you're sharing with another person were like and just expound freely you know i mean there's i've i've been lucky enough to have mostly good experiences with you know, mostly good people. Um, And I would say that across the board in general, men and women. Um, But one of my bigger fears at the time when I first, you know, got diagnosed was that one of my big fears was that it would impact uh, my men. And or just be attractive in general in my own body. And um, I didn't date for a very long time because of that. And also I just had to concentrate on myself, of course. But I, you know, a lot of it was fear. Um, I finally started dating when my hair started to grow back a little bit. And at one point, and I think what you're talking about, the, the experience that I related to you, at one point, I put my profile up on a uh, 
I don't even remember what it was. And one person, one man emailed me or messaged me and said, why are these bullshit feminist women pretending like short hair is attractive? It's one of the oddest ways to pick up on a girl. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, at the time, that was heartbreaking for me because it really pins into my fears of not being attractive. Now, this random person didn't even know that I had had a mastectomy. All he saw was my short hair, and that automatically made me unattractive to him. I wrote him back, um, and I said, you know, you should not... You, you don't know what's going on in other people's lives. You have no idea why my hair is short. But here, let me tell you so that maybe going forward in life, you you will hesitate before saying mean things to people. And I told him, I said, um, my hair is short because I got sick and I had to do chemo and my hair fell out and now, you know, I'm better and it's growing back. And I thought that, you know, my my expectation in my head was that he might write back and say, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I don't, you know, I don't know what I was thinking." Um, but actually, he didn't. He said something. I I feel like I can remember the words exactly. He wrote back and he said, um, he said, he said, you should really put that up on your profile that you have cancer, so that men know what not to get involved in. And then he wrote, but don't, yeah, but don't worry, you won't die. Obamacare will probably take care of you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and you uh, reported him and the dating service got rid of him, right? I did. I reported him and, and the dating service was actually appalled. And, uh, took him down immediately. Okay. Uh, and, but it was crushing. Uh, it was it... with the good guys. The majority of the guys were good. What was it like for you, like the first time with someone new? I mean, I can just I'll just talk to you about the dating aspect of it. Sure. If you don't mind, the first time that I entered into a more serious relationship, it took uh, probably a month or so before I even told him that I had had cancer. Um, and then a few weeks before I told him, the uh, a few more weeks later, I told him sort of more like how my body had actually been affected by the cancer. Um, uh-huh. and he was actually amazing and sweet. He said, so sorry you had to go through that. I wish I was there during that time because I wow. wish I could have helped you. Um, and to be honest, that has been, generally speaking, the, the sentiment that I received um, from from the men that I've dated since then. Not that there were that many, but, you know, 
but uh, yeah, there. It has been eye-opening to see how actually much more open-minded men are um, than I than I thought. To be honest, I yeah, I think we're taught in society that all men care about are the way a woman looks and her body and I mean we do seem to objectify women quite a lot in the media but at least I've been lucky enough to come across men who really are sad that they just weren't there for me when you know when I was going through a very difficult time in my life um, right. and, and I've been lucky in that that way for someone who just got diagnosed what would you tell her about her self-image and about those approaching those moments if perhaps they're single right now i'm sorry can you repeat the question for a listener who's listening who just got diagnosed and who isn't in a relationship, what advice or words of wisdom can you give her about, you know, how to approach thinking and feeling about self-image and, you know, when men come into your life, how to approach the situation? Yeah. There's no one way to approach the situation, but I hope that, I hope that she can listen to this story and recognize that it's not all over. Um, your chances aren't gone. You know, you still have you still have femininity, you're still beautiful and you still are a woman and you are still attractive. Um, and it's hard I mean I won't lie to you, Tika. It's hard hard sometimes to look in the mirror. I still look in the mirror and I'm not 100% happy with what I see. Um, but May I interject that you had I, reconstruction, right? Just for I anyone did. who's wondering. Okay. I did. Thank you for clarifying. I did have reconstruction and I'm still not, I'm still not happy. I'm not going to lie. However, um, I have regained my sense of femininity. I, my, one of my aunts, while she was taking care of me, she said to me, you are not your breath. And uh, that stuck with me, you know, that just, I don't know, it, I'm not my breath. I'm, I'm a lot of other things, you know. So I just, I guess my advice would be to just try to recognize it's not over because it feels it feels like your dating life is over. At least it did for me. But it's not, it's just changed. Just like the rest of your life, you know, is is changed and it will be changed. It it won't right. ever go back to being what it was. A lot of the changes will actually be positive changes. They won't all be positive changes, but some of them will. And just wait for that, and you'll see it. Can you explain what, in what form they can be recognized in? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, with dating, for example, um, 
you you will end up your your body will end up self selecting men who um who are a little bit more uh caring and compassionate about what you've gone through. They you are not going to end up with a man who only cares about your boobs or your butt. You're gonna end up with someone who cares about the whole package. And women are a whole package. We're not just our breasts, like I said. Um, Outside of dating, I feel like, you know, some of the improvements that I've noticed in my life are my relationships with other people. It has more depth. And that's partly because people really, like, came through for me. And they showed me how much they loved me. For me, the aftermath is the most important and interesting part of the story. Um, Like I said earlier, cancer changed my life. I think I was sort of uh, marching in place, just sort of marking time in my life before I had cancer. And once I had cancer and once I realized that maybe I was going to survive this and my kids would have a mom and I would have the second lease on life, I just really, really changed and the the first thing I did was to get a divorce. Our marriage had been bad for quite some time. We had done marital counseling. And I knew from the counseling that um, my husband wasn't going to change nor felt like he needed to change. And for the first time, and it was because of cancer, the, for the first time I was able to see that, well, he's not going to change. So if I want change, I need to make the change. And I just realized that I I had to I had to end the marriage that was the first thing that I did and my life from that point on just really brightened I really blossomed as a person and um, Sheryl Sandberg coined that term lean in in some book she wrote and that phrase popped into my head and I it still does to this day lean in which is just to lean in first in my relationships with my kids with my friends with um, lovers, with anyone that I, you know, make a connection with, um, just to lean in, go ahead and ask the questions that are hard, do the things that are hard. I started to realize that if something is hard or scary, it's worth doing. And so being afraid of something was no longer my cue to back away from it, but was now my cue to lean in and do it. it just really changed my life. I was able to get a really good job. Um, I did a lot of adventurous things with new friends that I made. That I made. Um, I felt like a much better parent. I could parent my kids how I wanted, and I felt like you know we all benefited from that. And um, yeah, <laughs> cancer was this thing that you know everyone should have the experience of being told that maybe your time on this planet is up. And at the last minute, be, you know, owing to some bureaucratic error, you're allowed to stay. <laughs> and that was really uh, what the experience was for me. You know, like I said, I was in this bad marriage and I was this, you know, from the housewife. And then I had cancer and, um, you know, I, I lost a lot of weight with the cancer. Obviously, you know, the treatments themselves, the surgeries, the radiation, the needles, all of those things are such an invasion of your body. It was really 
sort of weird to go through that experience of being invaded. So like the bad thing is that your body's being invaded. And I would often just cry feeling like the port in my, you know, my left side where they would do the infusions. And, um, but on the other hand, it sort of made me remember that I have a body. <laughs> I have this body and um, it, it's just sort of like my body was talking to me through all of this experience. And, um, you know, after my divorce, I had to, um, you know, I went out there, I dated and, and um, had to reacquaint myself with that side of myself that I hadn't been in touch with in a long time. And it was um, actually, it was a really great experience. It really was like I had shed a skin and was, you know, became this new person um, that I didn't know I was, you know, I remember like friends would tell me, um, oh, you know, Rachel, you have such a nice smile. And I was like, I didn't know I had a nice smile. <laughs> like, No one ever told me I had a nice smile. Like no one ever told me that, you know, um, I was attractive even. And so um, it was uh, really just sort of like uh, getting reacquainted with that, that part of myself. Um, yeah. The Cancer Dispatches is sponsored by Vrypak. Travel and sports accessories that allow free movement. That's V-R-Y-P-A-C dot com or Instagram dot com slash V-R-Y-P-A-C.